welcome to the Renaissance Christian Church Podcast. We're a church family with the mission of seeking God, serving others, and sharing the gospel. We're grateful that you have joined us as we study through the Bible, and we hope that it brings you encouragement and inspiration for your daily life. Here's Pastor Robert Fonseca. Good morning, everyone. Uh, Open your Bibles up to Mark chapter 6. We're going to look at verses 1 through 13 uh, in a message entitled, Commission by God. What an appropriate song we sung there, again, as I pray, just because we were bound by chains to sin, in sin as well. I've been reading a, a biography on the life of Harriet Tubman. Uh, if you don't know who she is, she is uh, a woman who was significant in the freeing of slaves just before the Civil War and even through the Civil War. Uh, she was considered a conductor of the Underground Railroad. A matter of fact, she was delivered so many slaves, she was considered and called Moses because she went back and freed her people, many of them, not all of them obviously, but many of them from the bonds of physical slavery. She's amazing. She's an amazing woman. woman. If you've never uh, read anything about her, I would encourage you to do that. Very inspiring. One of the reasons why I love to read history is to just learn from people in the past. And I'm inspired by her because she felt that she was commissioned by God to go back and to free slaves. She had made, I believe, over 30 trips back to the Deep South uh, to go and help free slaves. And, and again, as I said, she felt that this was her commission. She was called to, she was already free herself. She could have just fled to Canada and not worried about anything. But she felt it had this burden to go back and save all those people that she knew were suffering. Some of them were her own relatives. She was so committed to this that she spent long nights and of hunger and cold just sitting in swamps, hiding day after day. When they would carry little babies out uh, to free them as well, they would drug the babies because they, wanted, they didn't want the babies to cry at night because the slave catchers would chase after them and they would find them. Obviously, if they hear a baby crying, they would know that's where they were. So they would drug them. One of the amazing things that she, she did, I don't know if she ever did this, but she said she would have, is when she was taking, was freeing slaves from the South, if they got scared and they wanted to turn back, she said, I will kill you if you turn back, turn to go back. Why? Because then they would give up where she was. They would find out how she got away. And so she threatened them with pain of death if they ever turned to go back. But she was so committed again just to free people from the slavery that she herself was in. And as you think of that story, you think of it in a spiritual sense. We too, as I prayed, were slaves to sin. We were in bondage. And I wonder if you, and even I question myself, do we have that burden to go back and free the slaves to sin that are our friends, our relatives? We know that they're suffering. We know what they're going through because we were there as well. And again, as I said, I read history to be, you know, to learn and, and again, to get inspired, be challenged by people who were so committed to a cause. And I pray that you, especially this church, Renaissance Church, would be uh, 
just commissioned, feel commissioned by God to go out and set free the slaves of sin. So in the story this morning, we're going to see that. We're going to see two different stories. One about Jesus himself when he goes back to his hometown to tell people about the kingdom of God. And then when he commissions his 12 disciples and what they are called to do. Well, let's read this first section. This is going to be verses 1 through 6. It says this, And he went out from there and came into his hometown, and his disciples followed him. So Jesus is now coming back home to uh, Nazareth in Galilee. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many listeners were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what is this wisdom given to him and such miracles as these perform by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary and brother of James, Joseph and Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his own relatives and his own household. And he could do no miracles there except that he laid his hands upon a few sick people and healed them. And he wondered at their unbelief. And he was going around the villages teaching. So here we have Mark's summarized account of when Jesus comes back home to share the kingdom of God with his own people. You'll get a fuller account uh, for those of you that are interested, if you read Mark, excuse me, Matthew chapter uh, 13 and Luke chapter 4, there's other accounts. Mark gives us just a summary. And I'm going to go to those other sections so we can get a better understanding of what's going on. But here we have Jesus coming back home. He had already been healing and teaching throughout the region. You remember last week he had healed Jairus and the woman who was suffering 12 years with a hemorrhage. And there's no doubt that news got to his hometown about this. And so when Jesus came to town, he comes to teach in the synagogue, which was his normal practice when he went to a town. And as Mark tells us, they were astonished, absolutely struck with astonishment at his teachings. We aren't told what, he's, what he taught here, but you can turn with me to Luke chapter 4, because I think it's important to understand what he said and why they were astonished and why they reject him. So in Luke chapter 4, it's a, it's a very famous section of Jesus. It's the, we're going to start in verse 17 of Luke 4 of what Jesus said in the synagogue. So Luke 4, 17, keep your finger back in Mark chapter 6. We're going to flip back there. So this is Luke's account of what Mark summarized. This was his teaching. And he said, and, the, and it says, And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And he opened the book and found the place where it was written. So this is what Jesus reads from the scroll of Isaiah. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to set free those who are downtrodden and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And all the eyes 
of all the synagogue were fixed upon him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So Jesus is saying, what the prophet is talking about, about the coming Messiah, I am him. So Jesus comes back to his hometown to tell everybody, I'm the Messiah that was prophesied by the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, and I have come from God. So you could see why they were saying, whoa, 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 let's hold up, Jesus. We know you're just a carpenter. We know your mom. We know your brothers. We know your sisters. We know your family history. How can you say that you came from God? So now you kind of get a sense of why they're saying this. You know, we know you're, we, we like your teaching. That's fine. But now this claim of who you are, what your mission is, doesn't seem to match up with, again, who we know who you are. And that's why they, they say, where did he get these things? Where did he get this wisdom? And how did he get this power to perform these miracles if he is just a regular guy like the rest of us? Again, we know his brother, James and Joseph and Judas and Simon and his sisters. We know the whole family. So this is why, again, Mark in his summary of this tells us they were astonished or they were questioning him. Even though they had heard his teachings and they had heard about his miracles, you think they would have said, well, wow, maybe... Maybe he's speaking the truth. But instead of wondering about the why, they were more concerned with how does he do these things, right? And they question him and they take offense at him. Luke, again, tells us a little bit later that he, in some sense, predicted that, you know what? I'm going to leave this town and I'm going to go to somebody else and proclaim the gospel. And so they were offended at him. And so Jesus responds to this, going back to Mark. Keep your finger in Luke, though, because I'm going to share something there in a moment. Go back to Mark. And so after this questioning, Jesus tells him, A prophet is not without honor except in the hometown among his own relatives and his own household. It's like I receive honor from everybody else, but I don't receive honor from my own hometown, my own family. They should be proud of me, but they're not. Right? Again, because they're like, we know you even though nothing is known that he's done evil or sinful, right? And it says, so because of their unbelief, he only does a few miracles and he heals a few people and he wonders at their unbelief. They were so offended by him though, Mark doesn't tell us, but go back to Luke and look what they do to Jesus or they want to do to Jesus. And Luke chapter four, verse 28, this is amazing. In Luke chapter 4, verse 28, after Jesus says these things, it says this, And all the synagogue were filled with rage at the things he, they heard. And they rose up to cast him out of the city and led him to the brow of the hill which their city had been built in order to throw him down the cliff. They were so offended and mad at Jesus that they, they took him outside the city and they were ready to throw him off the cliff and obviously Jesus gets away from them. How mad do you have to be to throw somebody from your own hometown off a cliff? Have you ever been that mad that you wanted to throw somebody that you knew off the cliff? Hopefully not. But they, that's how upset they were. They were ready to kill Jesus right then and there because of what he had said to them 
right? And since they did not believe him, as I mentioned, and because they did not have faith in him, he only did a few miracles. It's interesting to note that Jesus did not insert his power or authority over them. Instead, he respected their rebellion. He said, fine, if you don't want to believe me, that's fine. I'll just do a few miracles here to those who believe. But to the rest of you, I'll leave you to your own attitudes and actions. And you'll be responsible for them because you don't believe. This is a good spot to point out this warning to all those who are listening today. To say this, God is powerful enough to cause anybody to believe. He has the power to do that. But it seems like he also gives us a say in our response to him. Right? We have that option somehow. Even though God is powerful enough to make us believe, it seems that scripture also lends us to understand or to believe that we also have a responsibility to respond to Jesus. Just like the people here in his hometown. No, I don't know how that all works out. If God's all powerful, can he make you believe or keep you from believing? But it is clear that we bear some responsibility if we reject him and stay in our unbelief. So today I would just say to you who are listening to this message that if you hear his voice and you are moved by his spirit, that you would, re- not, that you would not reject the claim of Jesus Christ. Instead, that you would repent and believe and follow him as your Lord and Savior. Again, Jesus is, we're told here, is astonished at their unbelief. And it's it's a far cry from what we learned last week, right? Where he was blessing people for their faith, right? He told the woman, your faith has made you well and whole and to go in peace. And he told Jairus, just believe. And Jesus healed his daughter. Again, these people were offended at his teaching and his miracles. And they chose not to believe for whatever reason. And so again, we have this story of Jesus who is called to go and set his people free. But yet people reject him and he allows them to reject them. With that said, let's move on to the next section here in verses 7 through 13, where we see now Jesus commissioning his disciples. And again, Mark gives us a brief summary of Jesus' commissioning of the 12. There's a fuller description in Matthew chapter 12 of this, excuse me, Matthew chapter 10 of this, if if you want to read more. But Mark just gives us a summary. So let's read verses 7 through 13 and then come back and and, uh, talk about it. And then we'll conclude with some applicational points. Mark says this, And he summoned the twelve and began to send them out in pairs. And he was giving them authority over the unclean spirits. And he instructed them that they should take nothing for their journey except a mere staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belt, but to wear sandals. And he added, Do not put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you uh, leave the town. And any place that does not receive or you or listen to you as you go out from there, shake off the dust from the soles of your feet for a testimony against them. 
And they went out and preached that men should repent. And they were casting out many demons and were anointing with oil many sick people and healing them. So again, we're here we have a brief summary of Jesus finally commissioning his 12 disciples to go out and be his representatives to represent his message and his healing power. If you remember when Jesus first called his disciples, he called them to be fishers of men. He says, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So here is the, the application or the execution of that ministry. They're, they've been called to Jesus in, Latin, in Mark chapter 3, verse 14. You can read this. They were called to him, it says, in order to be sent out. Right? They weren't called to be spectators in the Christian life or in the, in the, as disciples, but they were called, and we've talked about this over the last few weeks, they were called to learn from him, learn about him, see what he does, and then to go out and proclaim the gospel. And so that's what they're being commissioned to do. They're commissioned to go out, and Jesus sends them in pairs, it tells us here. And this is for a very practical reason. Obviously, you would want to go out in pairs because you would have somebody to help you along in your ministry to encourage you to be a witness to the ministry that you're doing. It's a reminder to us that ministry and the Christian life is not to be done individually, right? We're encouraged to be together, to commune together. Again, I'm, Pastor John coined this. Christi I think he coined it. I'm going to give him credit for it. Christianity is a team sport, right? We do Christianity. We do life together as a church. And so for a very practical reason, I believe, believe Jesus sends them out in pairs. And that's why he does that. He also sends them out with the authority over unclean spirits. The disciples are given the power to do what Jesus has done. So that those who hear the message will see the miracles and believe the message because of the miracles that they are doing. And you will also notice that he sends them out with minimal rations. Right? He's sending them out on a missionary journey. And what does he tell them? Take no bread, no bag, no money, and not even an extra tunic. Like That would be like the jacket for them to keep them warm at night. Because as he says, you're going to be going into towns and people are going to take care of you. They're going to keep you in their home. So you won't need that tunic. He's teaching them to trust the Lord, to uh, provide all that they need in ministry. Right? Don't take extra food. Just wear your sandals and take a staff. Again, this is to help them, to teach them a lesson to depend on the Lord for provision. And part of that provision is that when they come to a town with this message of being freed from bondage, being freed and taken into the kingdom of God, he says, you know what, people, are, there are going to be some who offer you to stay in their homes while you're there preaching. And if somebody offers you a place to stay, then you stay there. And you stay there until you leave that town. He didn't want them hopping house to house, from house to house, because, well, maybe this person got, has something better. They have a bigger home. They make better food. Whatever the case is, he says, no, whoever shows you that hospitality at first, you stay there with them until it is time to go. 
And he sends them out in verse 12. We can tell from verse 12. And also because in the other gospels in Matthew 10 and Luke chapter 9, that they were not only going out to heal, but they were also going out, more importantly, to preach the gospel. That's why it says in verse 12, and they went out and preached that men should repent. A very simple message, as Pastor Jared said at the beginning of this morning's service. Their message was to call people to repentance so that they may enter the kingdom of God. And so this was their commission, real simple. But he also gives them a warning in verse 8, because just like Jesus, who suffered opposition, experienced rejection, and even experienced persecution to the point where, again, where they were going to throw him off the cliff, look at what he says to them in verse 11. He says, In any place that does not receive you or listen to you as you go out from there, shake off the dust from the soles of your feet for a testimony to them. He tells them that, hey, guess what? Your message is not always going to be received. If they don't receive it from Jesus, why would they also, or why would they not also reject it from his disciples? Again, we're confronted with the reality that not everybody welcomes the message of the gospel. There's no doubt that you have experienced that in your own life, that just some people don't want to hear it. Some people don't care. And this is the reality, and Jesus tells them that, hey, there's going to be people that they don't want you in their town. They want you out of here. But Jesus doesn't call them to be confrontational about it, right? You're not going to go and force people into the kingdom of God. As a matter of fact, he says, if they don't want to hear you, then you just leave. You leave that, that town, and you walk away, and you move on to the next town. But in the process of leaving, he tells them to do something that we might not understand in our culture. Or maybe you do, because you've been a Christian for a while and you've heard this before. But he tells them, you need to shake the dust off the soles of your feet. Why does he tell them to do that? What was the significance of that? Well, Jews had a custom of shaking off the dust of their feet before they came into the Holy Land because they felt like they might have been in an area that was unholy and they didn't want to uh, contaminate, so to speak, their own city that was considered to be clean. And so before entering in, they would shake off the dust from their feet and their sandals and even from their clothes, they would shake it off. Similar to maybe those of you that maybe take off your shoes before you enter in the house or you step onto a carpet, you're like, I don't want to get unclean things in my home. That's the idea here. But it also signified a warning to these people because the Jews didn't want to bring anything unholy into the holy city. The disciples were essentially telling them, okay, you guys are unholy. I'm shaking off this unholy dust that I got from your town. And now you're going to be responsible to face God for rejecting his message. You rejected God and now God is rejecting you. This is what they were telling them. This is on you. I'm innocent of your blood. And it's kind of like, you know, I'm washing my hands of it, so to speak. So Jesus did want them to give that message that they're responsible for their own sins. And as a result of these instructions, as we've read already, verses 12 and 13 says that they went out 
and they did as Jesus commanded. They were felt they were commissioned by God and they went out and did it. And so as we look at these two instances or these two uh, stories here in the gospel of, of Mark, what can we learn from that? What is the application from this section? Because obviously we're not the 12 disciples, but we can take some application from these, this section. And I'm going to just conclude with three points of application. Because we too have been called by the Lord. As a matter of fact, every person that, is every, that has ever lived and that ever will live throughout human history has been called to the Lord, first of all, to do this, to repent. Everybody in the entire uh, epic of human history is called by God to repent. Look at what Acts chapter 17, verse 30 and 31 says. It says this, the Apostle Paul was speaking uh, to a group at what's known as Mars Hill and says this, therefore having, speaking of God, therefore having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that, that everywhere, all men everywhere should repent. Because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through the man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. Paul is saying God is commanding all people everywhere to repent. That is a commandment, or you could say a commission by God, that you are to repent. That's the simple message of the gospel. All men need to repent to be right with God, right? Repent of their sins that they've committed against God because God is a holy God. And to approach God, you too must be holy. And the only way that you can be holy is by not sinning. And because men have all sinned, we know that Christ has come to this world to take upon himself the sin of the world and justify all of us by dying on the cross. And our part is to call, be called to repent of that sin and believe on the Lord. That's the call for every person. Every man, every woman, every nation under the sun is called to repent. We've all been called to do that. The question for us is, just like those who Jesus talked to in his hometown and the 12 disciples in the towns that they went into, is will you be astonished by the love of God and what he has done for you Will you repent? Will you receive it? Or there's only two options. You either repent or will you be offended by that message? And will you try to throw Jesus off the cliff, so to speak, of your own life? How many people want to get rid of God? They never heard of Jesus. They would love to take Christianity, the Bible, and everything that is, that is involved in that and throw it off the cliff and be done with it as if they have never heard of it. Those are the two options. There's no in between. You either repent of your sin or you reject God and so to speak, throw him off the cliff. And so again, I ask you this morning, those of you who are listening, will you be astonished by the love of God and repent? And I know many of you already have, but for those that you haven't, that's your choice. 
God graciously seems to give us that choice, or will you be offended by him and attempt to throw him off the cliff? So that's the first thing each and every person is called to. The second thing that we're called to, and this is for believers only, is that we too are called to be sent out to tell others to be right with the Lord. Right? We weren't called just to be saved, although that's the greatest thing that we could have, but we are also called, like the disciples, to be sent. God calls us to, to himself, and then he sends us out from here. We are not spectators in the Christian life. We are called to a life of ministry in some sense. Let me share with you a, a couple ways that we can do that. Turn with me to uh, the book of 1 Peter. And we're probably, yeah, we're going to stay here for the rest of the, the sermon. So just go ahead and flip your Bibles to 1 Peter. 1 Peter, specifically verse chapter 2, starting in verse 9. As believers, we are called to be sent out. To sent out to tell others to be right with the Lord. That is our mission. And we do that first with our words. In 1 Peter chapter 2, Jesus, or excuse me, Peter is talking to the church that is scattered throughout the world. So it's no longer just to the 12 disciples. Here's a disciple saying, this is the mission of all churches everywhere. And starting in verse 5, he says, You also, as living stones, are being built up as, spiritual, as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood. He's talking to believers. To offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So he's telling the believers, you guys are being built up, right? To offer sacrifices to God, spiritual sacrifices. The priests of the Old Testament offered real sacrifices, like the birds and the lambs and the goats and all those things, or the bulls, I'm sorry. And he says, but you're offering, you are holy priests, but you're offering spiritual sacrifices. And then drop down to verse 9. He continues on. So he says, but you are a chosen race. So if you're a believer, this also applies to you this morning. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. So that's who we are in Christ. Think of that for a moment. We're a chosen race, a holy priesthood, a holy nation, a possession for God, a people for God's own possession. We are God's. God's chosen us to be his people, to be his representatives, just as ancient Israel was. To do what, though? Look at the rest of verse 9. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. For you, were, for you once were not a people, but now you are a people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Because God has called you to be his, and he's given you his mercy He's now called you to go out and proclaim that, to proclaim the excellencies of him. That word proclaim means to tell out or tell forth or to declare abroad 
or to make known through praises and proclamation. This isn't just for me as a pastor. It is for each and every one of us to go out and proclaim with our words. He says again, you've been cho- you're a people for God's own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness and into the marvelous light. If you've been called out of the darkness of sin and into the marvelous light of God's grace, our responsibility now is to go back and to proclaim that truth to other people. As I mentioned at the very beginning, Harriet Tubman had this, this felt this responsibility, this commission by God that now that she's been freed on her own, she ran away. She was going to go back in and help free as many people as she can. Do you have that? Do I have that sense of urgency? Does this church has that sense of urgency that we need to go back and get those people that we know out of the darkness? We are called to be sent to tell others to be right with God with our words, but not only with our words, but with our actions as well. Look down at verse 12 of First Peter chapter 2 as he concludes this little section. He says, keep your behavior or your conduct excellent among the Gentiles. When he says Gentiles, he means non-believers. So keep your... Behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may on account of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of their visit of his visitation. So he's telling them that your behavior should be consistent with what you say you believe. Right? He said, keep your, your behavior excellent among Gentiles or non-believers. Why? So that your testimony, what you say, isn't hindered by the way that you live. Right? We all mess up. That's a given. And we all sin. But it shouldn't be so blatant that it contradicts everything that you say you believe. If you're here this morning and you say, I love God. I've been forgiven by God. And then you go outside and live like you don't love God and you aren't forgiven by God, then why would anybody believe you? You're ruining your testimony. You're not being a good witness for the Lord. So sometimes our conduct is more important than our words, isn't it? Sometimes people just see our conduct. And it's some, and honestly, isn't it easier just to... to live like a Christian and go out and proclaim the gospel to people. Sometimes it's a little scary to do that. I would admit that, right? So you're just going to live like a Christian and hopes that somebody will see you and maybe it'll bring up a conversation. Maybe you'll have an opportunity to tell them about God. Maybe like Pastor Jared said, you could even invite them to church because they see how you live and that there's something different about you that they they say, hey, well, let's go check out what's going on in their life. Their church, their, their church must be different than all the churches that I've experienced, whatever the case may be. But don't let our conduct hinder our testimony. I'm always reminded of King David when he sinned with Bathsheba. And it's one of the things that always sticks to, in my mind because he had sinned against the Lord. Nathan, the prophet, came to him and said, you know what? Because of what you've done, you've given the enemies of God a reason to blasphemy. You've given people a reason to talk bad about God. 
is basically what he told them. I don't want to be that guy. I don't want somebody to point to me and go, you know what? Why would I believe God? Look at, look at, look at you. Why would I follow God? Who are you? You know, I don't want that. And I'm sure people could do that, but I'm going to do the best of my ability to keep my behavior excellent among Gentiles. And so that's what I would encourage you to do as well. So not only are we sent out to tell people about God, but we're also sent out to live like believers before the Lord. It's a witness to the rest of the world. And lastly, the third point is we have been called to the Lord and nobody likes this one, not even me, to face opposition. We've been called to suffer persecution. Look at, what, look at continuing in 1 Peter, drop down to verse 19. Verse 19 says this, in speaking of submission, he says, For this finds favor, for if for the sake of conscience toward God, a man bears under sorrows when suffering unjustly. So it's suffering unjustly, not just because you're a bad guy and you suffer. For what credit is there if you can sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience. But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. Here Peter is saying, you know what? We've been called to this. Look at verse 21. For you have been called for this purpose. You've been called to suffer. You've been called to repent. You've been called to go out and tell people about the Lord. And guess what? We're called to suffer for the Lord. That's not a popular thing to say, and it's not a fun thing to do, but it's the truth. If Jesus suffered in his own hometown and suffered persecution and suffered the crucifixion on the cross, the disciples suffered persecution. If you read church history, you'll see that the early church suffered persecution. Why would we not suffer persecution? Verse 21 says, For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving an example for you to follow his footsteps. Who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in him, in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds we were healed. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. Guess what? If we go out and live for Christ, if we go out and tell people about Christ, you are going to suffer persecution in some sense. Does that mean you're going to be thrown off the side of a cliff? Yeah, not, hopefully not in this country, but maybe in some countries. Maybe you are thrown off a cliff, so to speak, by family members and friends. So they want nothing to do with you anymore. They've written you off. You're going to face that. Or they might say, who do you think you are? I know you do. I knew you when you were little and as you grew up. And now you come back thinking you're Mr. or Mrs. Holier than now. Come on. You're going to face those objections and those challenges. That's just part of life. That's just what's going to happen to us. Again, going back to Harriet Tubman, she 
had to live her whole life running from slave catchers. She went back into enemy territory and suffered, again, long nights of starvation, sitting in swamps, waiting for people to, the slave catchers to get by them so that they could move on to the next safe space, so to speak. The next, you know, part of the Underground Railroad. How much more so as we as Christians will suffer persecution in such a way. Again, if you were to read the account of Jesus's uh, commission to the disciples in Mark chapter, excuse me, Matthew chapter 10, he tells you, you're going to suffer persecution. You're going to be uh, taken before kings. You're going to be, um, you know, turned in by brother and sister and mother, and your own family is going to be your enemy. Maybe some of you have experienced that as, after you became a believer, your own family views you as an enemy, as a traitor, so to speak. Right? Hey, you know, you were raised Catholic and now you're Protestant. What are you doing? What is this cult you belong to? I remember an uncle of mine saying that to me. What's this cult you're in now? It's like, it's not a cult. It's just church, man. You're going to face those things. You are going to face that. That is the reality of the Christian life. So what do we do in preparation for that? Well, sticking in, in 1 Peter, go to chapter 3. Look at what he says. We need to be prepared to defend our faith. Look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. He says, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Always be ready. Look at this. Always be ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. And keep a good conscience, so that in the thing in which you have you were slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. When we face opposition, we need to, I'm warning you now, if you go out and tell people about the Lord and live right with them, and you tell them, hey, you need to repent of your sins, you're going to face opposition. And you need to be prepared to tell them why they need to repent of their sins, why they need to be right with God. Do you know how to say that right now, why they need to repent of their sin? Why they need to be right with God? Here the Apostle Peter is telling us, be ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. This is one of the reasons why we come to church. Why we go to small groups and studies so that we can get built up in the faith. We could challenge one, each other, one another, grow from learning from one another, and then we go out into this world to share the faith. We need to be ready. Be sure of your belief and why you believe it. And you know what? Don't worry about what happens. That's up to the Lord. You plant the seed, so to speak, of the gospel and, sh and if they don't want to listen to you, you know, shake the dirt of your feet. Right? Just shake it off. Say, hey, that's on you then. Like, you know, it's off of me. I told you about the Lord. I'm not going to stand here and fight with you about it. I'm going to move on. I'm just going to pray for you. If they don't want to hear it, well, then just pray for them. Let your behavior speak for you if they won't listen to you. Right? Jesus had that own, his, he had to say that too. He goes, if you won't believe what I say, then believe the works that I do. Again, sometimes that's more powerful than the actual words that we speak. So again, we have this great commission by God. Again, first, to repent that we might be right with God. Secondly, to be sent 
to tell others how to be right with God. And thirdly, to face opposition. So let's get ready for that because that's our calling. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much first for the salvation that you've given to us, to those here this morning who have repented of their sins and have received you as Lord and Savior. We thank you so much for that, for loosening the chains of slavery to sin and ultimately spiritual death. We thank you for that. And we pray this morning, if there's anybody who hears this message now or any time in the future, that they too would repent of their sins and follow you as Lord and Savior. Lord, we also pray that you would help us to fulfill the great commission as you've called us to go out into this world to preach the gospel and to call men to repentance. Give us the strength to do that. Give us the power to do that. Help us to go out in pairs like the early disciples May we have somebody that, can, that we could bring alongside of us to help us to do that when the time comes. May this church be that second person, so to speak. May we help one another in reaching the lost in our communities, in our families, in our places of business. Lord God, help us to do that. And Lord, help us to bear up under persecution. Help us to be prepared to give an answer, to be ready to give an answer of the hope that is within us and help us to do it with gentleness and respect. Help us to live lives that bring honor and glory to you so that one day people that see us might come to know you just because of our life. Help us to do that, Lord God, we pray. And we thank you for the awesome privilege that we do have to be commissioned by you to go out and to do that. May you, work, may you work mightily in the lives of every person in this church, and may our church be known for its love and for its faithfulness to call men and women to repentance. We thank you for this morning, Lord, and pray all this in your name. Amen. Thanks for joining us in today's study. If you'd like to know more about us, or where you can attend one of our services, you can find information online at www.ren.church. That's R-E-N dot church. Thanks for listening.